You got to know where this guy at at all times. There he is again. How about three in a row? was cold blooded no no it's march 10th thursday this is high volume shooter i think i'm recovered from my trip from vegas i think but you get to that age man and it, it takes days and days to recover so I get in a Saturday afternoon to Las Vegas, super windy in Phoenix and Las Vegas, a bunch of turbulence on the plane. It's like a 45 minute plane ride, but it was super bumpy. They wouldn't let you out your seats. Cool. We get there, get to Planet Hollywood, and my cousin just did it big. He gets this suite. He, you know, he, he's, a, he's a pro traveler, so he waited till he was there, and then he goes, well, how much would it cost to upgrade? Is the room taken? And he, he got a deal on it, but we have this huge suite overlooking the Bellagio water. And so that was dope, man. And we uh, we start pre-gaming, right? We we go down and get robbed in the in the little uh, store in the Planet Hollywood, and we start pre-gaming. We get this notice. It's at T-Mobile Arena, right? And he he has the tickets, and it's mobile and all that. And they say you got to wear a mask. Now, mind you, no one's wearing a mask outside of the employees in Las Vegas. You got to wear a mask to get into the arena. And we're like, oh, okay, fine. So we get our masks, and we we had uh, I actually watched about a half of the Laker Warriors game. And it felt like we were in control. When I left, I was like, all right, we did what we were supposed to do. But uh, anyway, we head to T-Mobile Arena, get there, and not one person's wearing a mask. They, not even You could just walk in without the mask. So I think a lot of these things, and not, not like I've been traveling or getting out, but I think a lot of these mask requirements and these things are just on paper, right? It's just to make it look safe for whatever, for whatever legal reasons, right? We get in there, and my cousin, again, just taking care of your boy. Uh, you can check my Instagram, our seats. It was like almost the best seats in the house, to be honest with you, because the people that stand or sit on the floor level, right, just below, you really can't see unless you're like in the first row, right? You're not high enough to see into the octagon. And we were just above that, like where the bowl starts, third row. It was just an amazing environment. Huge arena. I thought it was going to be smaller than that. It's like a legit huge arena. And uh, so we're there, we're enjoying the fights. And this kid comes down to the barrier. Mind you, we're in the third row. And he's like standing in front of everybody watching. You know, his seats were way up. I don't know where they were. And people were like, hey, move, move, man, move. And he turns around, he just flips everybody off. Kind of looked like that uh, uh, Aziz comedian dude. Um, anyway, he flips everybody off. He's not listening. He goes back to his seats. He keeps coming back down as, as the main event inches close. Now the main event is about to happen. And he comes back down. And the dude in the second row, right in front of us, just grabs him by his hoodie and just slams him back down on the arena steps. Could have broke his back. It's like, oh, shit. So security comes over, but they didn't see it. And there's a conversation. And the kid was all right. He was so drunk, he was all right. He ends up shaking the dude's hand and leaves, right? You know, it's like, oh, shit, that was, that was violent. But uh, it was a, a necessary aggressive move. He'd been talking shit, wouldn't move. He learned a lesson. The lights come up between the fights, right? And this dude across the aisle goes, hey, man, you shouldn't have done that. That was fucked up. Now, mind you, I'm two or three beers deep. I've had some some vodka and stuff. I go, shut the fuck up. You wasn't about to do shit. When it happened, you didn't do shit. Why are you saying something, you know, 15 minutes later? Shut the fuck up. His wife springs up across the uh, the aisle and starts barking in my face. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, look, yo, you got to get your lady, man. Like, you, she knows what's about to happen to you. So she tried to intervene. She was trying to protect you. 
And so it wasn't really a, a I wouldn't even tell you this story. It, it wasn't a big deal. My cousin had to calm me down. You know, was, we almost scrapped. But I t- I'm telling you, you get in an environment like that where uh, it's a fight, right? You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a rowdy environment. There's drinks involved. So we both get calmed down or whatever, right? And in fact, leaving the arena, I extended my hand. I'm like, look, man, I understand you were trying to stand up for something. You didn't see the context of this little asshole wouldn't sit down, you know? And we dapped it up. We were good. We actually walked out of the arena together, go on our way. So, you know, it's like midnight or whatever, but the night's just starting in Vegas. We walk around, get get through the strip, get back to the telly, freshen up. All right, we're about to hit the clubs. Your boy didn't bring no slacks. In fact, I have one pair of slacks in my closet. I only have gym clothes because, you know, I mean, you know what I do, right? But I'm only in the gym, so I don't have slacks. So the only option is is some kind of like, ratchety strip clubby type area i don't know if it was an official strip club but it had i don't know what it is you know vegas has like these in-between spots we're just sitting at the table and this dude comes up he goes hey man my guy wants to talk to you he's over at his table all right whatever uh my cousin's gone though he went to to, to get a lap dance because he you know it ain't tricking if you got it but uh i'm like all right so i go I, i come over to this table and there's this brother in a in a Gucci or a Louis Vuitton like cut off vest with like the pants, some sort of like stupid two thousand dollar outfit, right? And he's got a table, bottle service, and all that. And he goes, "Hey man," he goes, "I was at the fights. I seen you almost whoop that dude's ass, and I loved it. That was some G shit. I tell you what, why don't you sit at this table? We about to leave in about thirty minutes. I want you to have this bottle service in this table." I was like, "Say no more, bet." Right. So we ended up having. A table and like the VIP bottle service. Granted, it wasn't, you know, some nice club or anything like that, but we were just in shock that he had seen it. And then we end up there and it was it was just weird, man. But we ended up staying there till like five, six in the morning, just drinking, chilling, shooting the shit. Um, and that and that, and that was it, man. Cause I ended up flying back Monday, but that's all it took. You at my age, at almost 40, you're up all night like that. I'm telling you, I'm still recovering. I feel tired right now. But overall, the the, the fights were amazing. The trip was great. Granted, it only lasted one night because Sunday night we was down and out. We, we slept all through Sunday. I guess the main event played out exactly how we expected, right? Uh, Masvidal, he, he put up a fight, but ultimately Kobe kind of just like Russell fucked him and, and ended up winning. And I had to say, Masvidal, I've never seen him that defeated after a match, right? Like usually he kind of keeps his, his swagger and his cockiness regardless, but you could tell he was super disappointed because it was so personal. But all in all, great trip. And I appreciate y'all understanding that I missed that debacle of a game. So let's move into this episode of High Volume Shooter. I wanted to start here with Dallas, who's been very dominant lately, right? And you saw Luca. There was a lot being made. I think it was last Thursday night. So it was like a week ago. It was Dallas Lakers. And late in that game, you saw Luca hunting LeBron, right? On the switches. And it kind of felt like a changing of the guard. I think that was the consensus. Like, wow. And the thing was, it wasn't like a, hey, let's have a pissing contest. I want to go at LeBron. He was doing it because it seemed like the easiest method to score at that moment in the game. And so it was, it felt very real, right? And is this a changing of the guard? Because it feels like we're destined for a Memphis Warriors playoff series, right? And not to trigger people, but if Ja outplays Steph and we get knocked out by the Grizzlies, I mean... That might make it official. The changing of the guard, the Luka, the Ja, the Jason Tatum era may officially be upon us. Now, 
it could go the other way, right? The Warriors could make a run, knock them out. Not so fast. Not so fast, right? Or, or maybe it's Brooklyn and KD get through the East or the Heat, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it looks like it could happen the way things are playing out right now. We've also seen a ton of monster games offensively lately. Julius Randle, what he hang 46 on the Clippers. Embiid scoring 40 like once a week. Jokic's numbers are godly. And then Tatum. I can't act like I've been watching this Boston winning. I've seen bits and pieces. I saw that, what was it, that Sunday morning game, some of that, right? But I'm going to have to take a, a longer look at Tatum before I declare him taking that step. But it, it looks like he might. But we've seen that before with Tatum. We've seen these phases where like, oh, here he comes. And then it tapers off. So I don't know. And then Kyrie with the most efficient 50-point night the other night against Charlotte. Um, and I think we're at a point in the season right now where you're seeing guys are kind of beat up. They're fatigued. And it's showing defensively. That's why I think we're seeing these outbursts. I think the defenses aren't as healthy and as fresh as they were early in the season. And so we're seeing these huge offensive outputs. And it's also the stars are revving the engine, ramping up for the playoffs. Let's talk about Clay Thompson. They bring in Will Ferrell, Jackie Moon to cheer him up the other night, right? They run opening sets for him at the beginning of each half, a couple of them. They have let him close games regardless of how his night's going, and we all understand it, right? It Not only has he earned that right, but everybody also has a high level of empathy for what he's gone through. But right now, that's probably not the right approach, right? Physically, I think it's very clear Clay needs to strengthen his legs. It's that simple. The problem is he can't do that while trying to play and deal with the soreness of getting back to playing, right? He has no balance. I know I've pointed it out over and over again in the breakdowns, but I I wanted to elaborate on my thoughts with what's going on with, you know, my favorite player ever. But I still got to call it like I see it. And the lack of balance, that's why he's drifting on all his shots, right? And it's, it's not necessarily the elevation or the lift in the jump shot. It's the ability to stop and go straight up. That's the signature of Clay Thompson. He can stop and go straight up with that textbook jump shot, and that's no longer. You saw the leaner late in that Clippers game. I don't think he had any intention of going glass until he couldn't go straight up. And he was like, oh, shit, here I am leaning. Let me hit this off glass. Right now, I think he needs a bigger window. He has to find his shots at a slower pace. I would use Luka as an example. You know, the the Luka pace. And that's why he's always on balance and he always, I won't say always, right? But he, you know, I know Luca's a little bit bigger, but I think he should study his pace and the way he's getting off some of his shots because I think Clay needs to play at a slower pace, at least right now, because he can't stop on a dime and go straight up. And that's what he's trying to do on a lot of these shots. Now, what are we, 20 games away? Less than 20 games until the playoffs and things could get really interesting here. I think we all imagine... Kerr will ride or die with Clay regardless, into and through the playoffs, right? But the way Poole and Mood are coming on, man, they're making it not as easy as the decision as it maybe could have been, right? It's not like there's no one behind him. Oh, we got to live or die with Clay. That's not necessarily the case with the depth in the backcourt now. To me, Clay just isn't ready to be a 30-minute, 15 to 20-shot guy right now, physically. And so he should probably be more of a 20-minute, 10-shot guy. 
that matters in efficiency. It really does. And I want to shout out my guy Rug on Patreon. I encourage you all to go read his post. It's under the Clippers breakdown, game 66. He said he feels like the team might have taken on too much of Steph's personality. The share the ball, everybody's got to feel good type of stuff, right? And Clay has always balanced that out, right? Clay was the enforcer. And Wiggs, Poole, these guys, they have to understand to take shots away from Clay, you've got to take them. And I thought that that was a brilliant point from Rugg. Um, so again, go check out that post because he put it very eloquently. And he's right, man. He, you know, Clay really is like Kobe in that sense, right? He's not out there to make you feel good or hold your hand as a teammate. He's out there to kill. And if guys are going to be passive, he inevitably is going to try to do too much. But at the same time, that's also why he's so clutch. Because I don't think his thought process changes, whether it's a first quarter shot or a shot with 30 seconds left in the game, right? It's the same mentality. That's what makes him unflappable. But let's get back to his mechanics. Because Clay very well might become efficient at these leaning, fading, one-foot shots. We saw Dirk do it later in his career. Granted, he's a seven-footer with the highest release ever. But, you know, someone had brought up Larry Bird, made a lot of leaning, fading shots. That's kind of before my time. Clay's will and mind are so strong. He could do it. His paradigm as a great shooter could make it happen. But it's a recalibration process that could take 50 games, 60 games, 82 games. It could take a while for him to recalibrate this new style. It's almost like he's trying to speed up the calibration by seeing how many shots he can get up every time he touches the floor. I think moving forward, though, with a combination of his legs getting stronger in an offseason, a healthy offseason, and him recalibrating his pace and kind of body mechanics, he can still be an efficient 20-point guy. The problem is it appears we're going to let him figure this out during a playoff run, right? I think an off-season of strengthening the legs and calibrating that is much needed. And so, like the homie Rugg said, to take shots away from him, you got to take them. He's not going to fall back. He's not. Now, does Draymond restore the pecking order? Good chance he does. Steph certainly isn't. Did you hear the quote he gave about Clay? And they asked him, you know, what have you been telling Clay through his struggles? And Steph said, I told him, just keep being aggressive. You're Clay Thompson. Don't ever forget that. You know, that's kind of the unwritten code amongst teammates in the NBA and these guys. You always try to keep your teammates' confidence up. Stay aggressive, right? But sometimes the message has got to be different, man. And I think that's why Kobe... Jordan and some of these dudes rubbed guys wrong, right? And Draymond is that guy for this franchise. He's not going to say what you want to hear, but more than likely it's going to be what you need to hear. Did you hear the story on Andre's new podcast? Draymond was yelling at Steph for bad shots in that Portland series, right? So I assume he'd do the same to Clay. I'm very anxious to see them all back on the court together and what that does to the team chemistry, in particular Clay's shot selection. Speaking of Andre, the new podcast, Point Forward, I got some thoughts on the first episode, which featured Steph Curry. It's a nice power move from Andre, nice way to launch your podcast. His co-host is Evan Turner. E.T.'s no longer in the league, is he? Remember, they played together in their early years in Philadelphia. That's where their relationship 
was built. I like him though. I think he I think he has good takes. I think he's just being himself. I do just kind of want to sock him in his chest though and knock that phlegm sound out his throat. Kermit the Frog, my God. A- a- anyway, I, let me get to the couple points that I wanted to make about about that first episode. Towards the end, someone had asked me about the ownership talk at the end of the episode. And you can tell Andre's just on another level when it comes to counting dollars. And he's complaining about the ownership and the billions and how it's really not fair and the players deserve more. But at the same time, when he's in that position, meaning ownership, which it really sounds like he's planning on being, he'll do the same thing, right? Like, So it's a little ironic. Like The businessman Andre is talking about what's fair and unfair. He's supposed to know it's business. But I think that overall, all the things that were said are openly expressed with the team. That's the vibe I got. And while Steph and he were kind of complaining, they are buying into the attempt to have both hands in the cookie jar, meaning win now and develop. There was kind of a tone with both Steph and Andre, like, we'll see, or, you know, kind of like, they're waiting to say, I told you so, I told you it wouldn't work. But hey, at the same time, if Lakeup in this win now, develop now thing works, then that means more winning for Steph and Andre. But you can tell by their tones that, you know, they're skeptical of trying to do this. And they're almost waiting to say, hey, I told you so. But you know what the funny thing is? Are they kind of protesting the do both mentality of the front office? by all doing both things themselves, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, word, well, we're going to focus on our next venture too. You look at Steph in the TV show, Andre's pod, Draymond's pod, they're like, okay, well, we'll play and focus on our brand in, in after basketball life at the same time because we can win and develop at the same time, so why couldn't we do this at the same time? I think they're going to buy in and try to do their best ultimately. But I think it's only human nature when you leave something you kind of want it to go down, right? You don't want it to maintain. When Steph, Dre, and Clay are done, Andre, you think they want the Warriors to maintain this dynasty and like just keep it moving with Kaminga and Wise and, and Poole? There's a part of them that wants them to, to go down after, right? That's just human nature for anybody. I wanted to talk a little bit about Jordan Poole here for a second. He's had such a big, what, like 10 days here? A polarizing subject can be his ceiling. People are all over the place with it. And to me, there's no doubt he has the talent to be a lead guard. I'm not sure he has the mental makeup. I was talking about his creativity. And that's give and take, just like everything else. You know, with someone who's super creative, they also tend to be kind of flaky in a lot of areas of their life. They're not as reliable. And you know, that's why he he's going to have some kooky turnovers, some head-scratching stuff. You're like, dude, what are you doing, right? But it, it, that's in part his creativity. But then, you know, you saw that interview last week that kind of went viral where he was really irritated. His eyes, he does some weird facial expressions with his eyes and his body language, his attitude. Now, maybe it's on purpose, right? And he he's nothing like that behind closed doors. But, you know, if he were to become a lead guard, a franchise player, that's part of the gig, my guy. You're going to have to answer some questions. You're going to have to speak on stuff and be a leader of a team. That comes with, you know, a max contract. Not that he has it yet, but it just worries me a little bit that he could have 
some quirks to his personality. And again, the creative, the Kyrie's types of the world, right? Where, you know, eh, it like it, the talent is there. It's undeniable with Poole, right? But does, is he, again, does he have the mental makeup to be a true lead guard? You know, and, and you look at Russ and what's happening now. And I think it's obviously they don't play the same at all, but Russ obviously has or had the talent to be a lead guard, but his personality wasn't cut out to be. That's what we're learning. And I think a lot of us knew that a long time ago, but I think the world is figuring that out now. And look, I saw this Russ stuff coming a mile away. If you noticed a couple months ago, I just left him alone, right? I was like, man, I'm starting to feel bad for Russ. And I even said something to the effect of, he's probably going to have to take his family out of LA. Like I just saw this coming because I know how Laker fans are. I know that market and those expectations. And I also know how Russ is so rigid and, and he, he wasn't going to change, right? So you've heard me talk about this. Russ comes out and breaks the number one rule of the playground and he let everybody know how to trigger him. So now what do you think is going to happen? And so, yeah, man, it's getting ugly. You saw them get beat by Houston last night. LeBron damn near lost his leg. Eric Gordon hit him with a nasty in and out hezzy and then popped the three ball. You heard James Worthy, big games James. After the game, he was like, look, man, they don't have the heart. They don't have the belief anymore. And Mello was like, he ain't wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's it's collapsing for them. They might, they might not even be a part of the play. And to be honest with you, you get the sense that they're really going to fold. LeBron spent his last little bit of juice sticking it to Steph on that Saturday night, right? But it's kind of hard to imagine where Russ goes from here. Who's going to take him on? I'm looking around, maybe a, a young team like Detroit where they don't really have any big contracts. They could afford to bring him off the bench and, and kind of have like a gap year where it's like our young guys aren't ready to win, but maybe this can help, you know, because ultimately that's what Russ needs to draw from this season. It's time to become a six man or retire. That's what it is. We saw this with Allen Iverson and we saw him struggle with this, right? I could see Jordan taking a swing on one of his signature athletes, maybe send Hayward out and, and tell him, hey, man, you're going to be a super six man. I'll put it to you like this. A guy that has dedicated himself so much to basketball in his career to go out like this and, and how ugly it is in his hometown. Yeah, man, it's tough. Before I get into this mailbag, you've probably heard the Tyreek Evans news. I brought his name up a couple weeks ago and now... The Warriors have worked him out twice, sat next to Bob Myers at the Clippers game. My first thought was, is this a sign that Andre or GP2 are down bad? There's been such a lack of transparency with these injuries. Is, that, is this a sign that we aren't going to have all these guards? Because, you know, it, it, another guard? Okay. But uh, yeah, when I brought him up a few weeks ago, I had kind of compared him to the guard version of Pascal Siakam. But that really is just in how he gets downhill. It's really just how he, he, he's a very unique finisher with his length once he gets downhill. He is or was a much more natural basketball player than Siakam. And hey, man, if he's in shape, he's 32 years old, crazy wingspan, 6'6". He doesn't, you know, he, he could play a Livingston-type role in our system. Like, he doesn't really shoot the three. He does most of his damage in the paint. And he was, again, was dripping with feel for the game. And I think that's why the Warriors were initially interested in before he went to Indiana, I think in 17 or 18. 
Myers and the Warriors have had their eye on him because, again, it's a system fit. That does make sense. But again, the makeup of the roster, I'm going to bring it up one more time. Marquise Chris, what did he do or not do to fall out of favor? Because Tyreek Evans, yeah, he's big. He's got length. He's system fit. He's still a guard. So I don't know, man. It is maybe Andre is really down and out, and he's starting his podcast career. So I, I don't know. It's not like they're going to tell us. I, I was joking in that last breakdown about Andre faking the back injury. My guy Chris said, "Well, what about Draymond? Right? He he can't seem to find a chair on the bench. He's screaming all game, and you know, <laughs> you're right. He he is. I I would say this with a lot of back injuries, it's the sitting that does you in. Right. So maybe it's better for him to stand. But listen." Would it be beyond a clutch client to milk an injury to show their value headed into a contract negotiation? I'll leave it at that. We'll see Draymond Monday. All right, I got a couple mailbag questions here. SB89, I'm not going to try to pronounce the full handle here because it's I'm just not going to be able to do it. But he suggested he was listening to Draymond in Miles Bridges talk about the dunk contest and how to fix that. And he suggested a team dunk contest where, you know, you pick a few players and they have a few dunks and maybe the top five teams enter this league dunk contest. I don't hate it. I don't hate it, man. And, you know, it would also give them time to plan. You could maybe do like a three player dunk, right? You know, we see lobs all the time. But what if it was three guys or if it was just two in a lob situation If it was with your team, you know, you could sync up and kind of work on it, you know, at the end of practices and stuff like that. What if they just went the other way and went for comic relief and they were just like, all right, let's have a bunch of guys that have never had an in-game dunk. Just send them out. You have Compazzo out there trying to graze the top of the rim. (laughs) They would never do it, right? Unless there was a big bag involved. But yeah, man, I think they need to just open it up and, and maybe try something risky like that because it hit rock bottom this season, right? Let's get into some of these voicemails. I'll post a fresh link to where you can leave me a voicemail for an upcoming episode. Here is uh, Jeff. Three quick questions slash takes. First, who do you think will turn out to be the best player? Franz Wagner, Scotty Barnes, and Jonathan Kaminga. Second, what's the proper and the most you are willing to pay Wiggins per year for his extension if you are the Warriors? Third, Imagine the Warriors draft Bronny and just don't play him. That would be the coldest move ever. All right, peace. That rookie question is tough. I think if you ask that question, you could get a different answer every time, right? And I got my biased Warriors lens on a bit here. I think Kaminga has the highest ceiling, period. The physical attributes are just jaw-dropping, right? But I'd probably take Barnes first. You know I'm a Barnes guy. And I think... You know, if we're talking about who has the greatest chance of hitting Barnes, he's just his mental makeup and everything. Like he, I, I'll, I'd go Barnes, Kaminga, and then Wagner. And it might just be team dependent. If you're Orlando, you might want Kaminga, right? Because there's such a ways away. And I'm not saying they're unhappy with Wagner. It was a great draft pick. But because you're such a ways away and you really need, a, you need to swing for the fences, you might want Kaminga. If you're Brooklyn... You probably want Wagner right now. I won't say he's a finished product. He's just as young as these other guys, but he's he's re, he's more refined. But again, I, I'll I'll say Barnes has the greatest percentage 
chance to becoming a star. As far as Wiggins and his contract go, I think, you know, we just saw the guy the other night, Aaron Gordon, where we're going to see him again tonight. I think he got four, four for 80, so 20 mil a year. And again, now when the new bargaining agreement hits and it raises everything, so maybe that that changes, but I think he should be on that type of contract, not a max, but like, a you know, 20 something a year. Who knows what's going to happen with the Bronny thing, but I think one thing we can expect is shenanigans. There's going to be some shenanigans getting him into the league. You just know it. Here's Tron. Yo, what up, Al? Uh, man, I'm a longtime fan from uh, from out here in the Bay Area. Um, we we kind of share similar lens, you know, for the game of basketball and the culture. Um, so I just want to show some love on on uh, on you putting on for for the town and and kind of where we from. Uh, but yeah, my question to you is, um, I don't know if you noticed or if you've seen on Twitter they were getting at a uh, Jared Allen for his. Uh, for his outfit during one of the all-star game events. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of kind of strange, you know, the, the way that they got at him because, you know, I, my, I guess my question is um, why does our culture uh, value flash over substance so much? Like, he's a great player. Um, he's achieved a lot in, uh, in his time in the NBA. Uh, why not just appreciate his game? You know, why do we have to to focus on his? That's my question, and uh, hope you continue to do what you do. Appreciate the love. I saw that too. I saw that too, man. You know, this is this is really a deeper conversation. Maybe I can I can bring my guy James on to have at some point. He's it's more of his realm, right? But you know, it really it sounds great. It, it really goes back to slavery, right? And those effects. As a culture, we have fought for so long to be on equal ground. It's it's a deep-seated insecurity, right? The fear of appearing broke. What's the Kanye line? Man, I promise I'm so self-conscious. That's why you always see me with at least one of my watches, right? I think it's not only to show each other, hey, I ain't a broke nigga. But also, maybe with the hope of not being treated unfairly or like someone poor, right? And, and the fear that because I'm black or brown, people will automatically assume I ain't got it. So let me wear some loud ass shit and scream I got it. You know, and that, again, this could be a much deeper conversation, but I'm with you. That's what it is. And hell, I catch myself doing it sometimes. I can't even front. All right, I'm going to wrap this one up here. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Moving forward in the next 10 days, right? You, Wiseman's debut in the G League, Draymond's return. I'm going to cover all of it. I'm going to get back on schedule with these two pods a week and and some bonus coverage. It's coming. I'll, I'll let y'all know where to find it and how. I do want to leave y'all here with the non-basketball take. Russell Wilson, good riddance. The Niners are winning the NFL offseason and have yet to make a move, Right. The quarterback who has owned them for the last 10 years leaves the division. Aaron Rodgers stays right where he is, right where we beat him all the time and takes so much money, it's going to handicap that team. And then in turn, it opens up the Jimmy market. And then I, I listened to a Trey Lance interview with Rich Eisen last week. The kid's got it between the ears. You can just tell. Now, there, there's a lot of stuff that's got to play out, but you can just listen to him speak for 15 minutes. You're like, okay. 
he's got it mentally here. And, and we've seen the physical attributes, you know. And so as frustrating as last year was for Niner fans, it looks like it might just all fall into place this season. I'm, I'm curious to see, obviously, not necessarily what they get back for Jimmy, what they do with that money that they get for getting rid of Jimmy. This is high volume shooting. I'm out, y'all.